0: In the weeks behind us, our focus has been uh, to pay attention to the way that Jesus taught those who would listen how to think about the church. Uh, For three weeks now, we've paid close attention to the way that he describes in, in vivid images to those who are wanting to follow him, how to think about the church, not just to have something to think about so that his teaching would change them. Uh, Last week, we listened to his instruction about the vine and the branches. Uh, Jesus made it plain that if we would understand ourselves, each one of us, as a branch intimately connected to him, the vine, then we would see in our own lives things beginning to grow that would be good for the world. Uh, The week before that, we considered the image of the flock uh, over which Jesus is the shepherd, and each one of us was invited to see ourselves as a sheep. If we would understand Jesus to be our guide and our help like a shepherd is for the sheep, we saw in that image an opportunity to understand our own identity differently so that we would find ourselves growing and changing. This morning, we'll continue considering the images of the church that are in the New Testament, but now we'll shift from Jesus onto one of his followers Uh, Paul, the apostle, like many who grew to follow Jesus, he took on the responsibility of helping future generations think about who they were in a way that would help them know how to be the men and women that God wanted them to be. Uh, Paul and others like him wrote letters, which we have now in our New Testaments, which are rich with imagery meant to help people, even to this day, understand who they are before God. And this morning, we're going to consider an image that Paul used to help people in a very particular place in a city called Corinth understand who they were. And and we're going to dig into that together uh, in order to understand ourselves better. But before we do, I want to say a word about the outcome of time like this. On the one hand, uh, it is hoped by me as the pastor of this church that spending time together, thinking about who God wants us to be, will help Renaissance become a faithful community. That's my goal for us all together. There is enormous potential in this church to change the world. And one thing I'm certain of is that everybody agrees that the world needs to be changed. Would you, would you show me your agreement there, yes? No, no matter where you stand when you, when you sit before the, the TV and watch the news. On both sides, you know the world needs to change. And the world, this is the second thing I say. So that when the church changes, that helps the world change. But the world is comprised of individuals. You know that, right? It's all of us together. And so it's all too easy to draw a line and put ourselves on the right side and say they need to change. But what happens so brilliantly when we come to the scriptures is we see their images that will shape our consciousness altogether, but also will challenge us to look at who we are individually differently. And that's the second thing that I wanna see this morning. Whether you are a part of this church or not, you're visiting from out of town and you're gonna go back south or you're gonna go across the pond or wherever you're from, if you would take to heart what Paul teaches, wherever you are even in the spectrum of faith, what you'll see is not only can you become a part of a collection of people who change the world in the way God wants to, but your life itself can be changed. And it also needs to change, yes? And if you're, if you're even a tiny bit aware of that need, then you are in the right place this morning because what happens when Paul or Jesus or anyone in the scriptures opens up for people who will listen, opens up the truth about how to think about themselves is God is active and present to change anyone who will listen. And so that's where we stand. We stand right on the, on the precipice of being able to change a bit if we'll take to heart what we'll learn. And that's what I hope for, for you individually and for us all together as a church. So let's jump in to the image that will shape us this morning. And it comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul is addressing a group of people who need to change. Here's what he writes. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. He tells them, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Here, Paul has in mind a group of individuals who he knows personally. He spent time with them collectively, and then he went away from them. And in the distance between them and where he went next, news came that there were some troubling developments back in Corinth. And what Paul wanted is to, to help challenge those people there who were, had gotten themselves into behaviors that were not good. Um, this may be a news flash to you, but it's not just recently that the church has become filled with people who are difficult. Uh, from the very beginning, that's how it was. And here Paul went away from the folks in Corinth and he heard that they were beginning to treat each other badly. He heard that they were turning inward and they weren't doing what God wanted them to do in the world around. And he knew that the heart of it was that they had gotten the wrong understanding of who they were, especially in relationship to Jesus. And so the way he corrected their behavior was by giving them a new way to think about who they were all together. And there you saw it, all together, you are the body of Christ. And just as then Paul addressed that word to those folks, it is equally well applied to us here if we will let God tell us who we are. You are the body of Christ. And then there's a second half of that statement which tells them each one of them how to think of themselves individually and members of it individually. Let's start with that second part, that single word members. Here is an image that comes from God's word for you to try on when you look at yourself to say, I'm a member Now, immediately, there's a a huge potential for misunderstanding because of how the word member functions in the English language and how distinct that is from the way it worked in Greek. When I hear the word member, I think of the golf course that I worked at when I was a kid or the gym that I never became a member of or that jacket that I desperately wanted when I was a sophomore in high school, members only. Did any of you have that jacket? Yes, I'm jealous of you. I never got one because member connotes inside and all the privileges that come with it and outside and all the privileges that you're missing. And the way to cross the line in our minds when we hear the word member is you have to achieve or give something that opens the door for you, which is closed for everyone else who hasn't achieved or given that thing. And, and that sense of what the word member means when it's combined with the most common misunderstanding about what the church is, which I've said each week, we, we, we think the church is the building. And when you make that mistake, that the church is the building and membership is that privilege that comes to you, which is excluded from others because you've given something they haven't, then you have a disastrous development on hand. Then your membership at the church is your inclusion in the activities associated with this building because you gave something that someone else didn't. And that's not what's in Paul's mind at all. You cannot get further from that. In Greek, the word member is a word that that is, it's melos. That's the word in Greek. Melos has two very distinctive meanings. In the first century ear, the word melos, first of all, is the word from which our English word melody comes. And that's what melos means literally in Greek. It means melody. You are individually, you're the melody. Think of what a melody is. It's different notes, which go together in just the way that the composer designed in order to make something come that could never ever result from a single note. But rather when those notes are held together in just the way the artist intended, then you have something that arises that is magical, a song which can inspire and can move and can change Everything for a person just because it floats into their ear and it transposes them to a different place, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Anybody else moved by just the right melody? Yeah. Try that on. You are the melody which the composer himself is putting together. That's the first meaning. The second meaning of that word melos is much more earthy. It's in Paul's mind very obviously in 1 Corinthians. Melos also means member in the sense of being one part of a physical body. Your hand, your foot, your eye, your ear, your nose, those are all called melos. They're members of a body like a melody on their own a single part of the body does nothing just like a note on its own does nothing. But when they're brought together and held in relationship with the rest of the different parts of that body as the creator intended, why then you have something that has agency, a body, something that can go somewhere and grasp something, Uh, something that can actually go and exert power for good in the world. And that is, is in the mind of Paul when he thinks of the folks in Corinth who are all now going their own way in a way that's destructive rather than in the way they should. And to correct them, he reminds them that they are members of something in particular. Now you try this on for a moment. You are melos, you are a melody. And there's a composer who's writing the song. You are an individual, discrete member, part of a body that is mysteriously being woven together not just here in Summit, of course, yes, here at Renaissance Church, but wherever anyone who's willing to come to the place that those who were opening their ears to Paul's instructions, where they had come, which is they'd come to the place to say, we wanna know who we are from God's perspective. If you're ready to come to that place, then you're ready to hear this. You are a member of the body of Christ. This is the image that will unfold this morning. It's members of the body. And now if you will try that on, for a way to understand who you are, which I implore you to this morning. If you'll do that, if you look at yourself and you'll set aside all the other ways that you've been tempted to assess your value or think of your true identity or embrace you, who you are, if you will put those aside and say, what might I learn if I listen and let God tell me that I'm a member of this body, what might happen? Well, I'll tell you, then you will be transformed individually and then we will together if we'll learn to embrace what is behind this particular idea that we are individually notes brought together or parts of a body arranged in just such a way, if we'll take that to heart, the three areas where we'll see radical change is first in relationship to Jesus. And this image means to teach us, every one of us, wherever we are in faith, about how to see ourselves in relationship to him. Secondly, in relationship to the rest of the people that we happen to be gathered together with in this community. Think about how strange it is that every week we come together and then we go apart. Does that ever strike anyone else as strange? There's a reason that God's bringing us together. That's the second area. What should we think of in relationship to each other? And then thirdly, and this one I feel very emphatic about, it'll change our way of understanding us in relationship to the world where God has put us. And this is what I want to take us through is how to let this image shape those three different ways of seeing ourselves. Let's start with how uh, this image helps us see ourselves in relationship to Jesus himself, that we're members of his body. I want you to look here At a statement of Paul's from another letter he wrote in the book of Colossians, there he's trying to help shape the mind of the people that have gathered in that ancient city in Colossae. And he tells them the truth about Jesus in relationship to them. In verse 18 of chapter one, he says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Here in Paul's mind, again, is the understanding of all the people that God has gathered together. And when he thinks of them all with each other, he thinks a body. It's Christ's body. And each one of them is a different part of the body. There is one part of the body that is exclusive to Jesus. No one else in the community will ever have this position within the body. And that is the position of the head. Now, Paul teaches in Colossae, and we're meant to receive it here, that if we will think of ourselves as a member, a part of the body, as a note in the song, what we must always keep in our own minds is that when it comes to the composer, it's Jesus. When it comes to the creator who's holding it together and governing and guiding the body of which we are a part, it's not any one of us, it's Jesus himself. And as you will know, the the most Uh, The healthiest uh, setup within any given body is such that all of the parts fall in line beneath the one which is in charge, and that's the head. If my foot decides one afternoon, you know what? I'm tired of my brain. And from now on, I'm just going to go where I feel like going. Things will not go well for my body. Um, I wrote in my notes here, to demonstrate, fall over and say, see, but I'm not going to do that. You get it, right? I don't need to do that. Uh, the way it works with us and with a physical body, and this is what the image means to teach us, is that in order to thrive and function well, members of the body trust Jesus. Because if any part of your body develops its own intentions away from your head, you're in trouble. In in 2014, Baylor uh, Baylor University Medical Center published a paper uh, entitled The Alien Hand Syndrome. This is an actual uh, medically uh, assessed condition uh, in which the phenomenon is described as follows. This is a, a quote from the paper. One hand is not under the control of the mind. The person loses control of the hand and it acts as if it has a mind of its own. Alien uh, hand syndrome describes involuntary, complex, goal-directed activity of one limb along with the feeling that the limb is foreign or that it has a will of its own. You can go online and see videos uh, with interviews of people who suffer from this syndrome and and it causes them to do things with their hands that they're not intending to do without their intention. They turn off the lights, they grab food off of people's plates in restaurants, they lash out violently towards, it's not funny. But can you imagine how how your whole body would be thrown into disarray if any one part of it decided that it would be best for it to assert its own will over against the head? And that is in Paul's mind when he wrote to the folks in Corinth and when we ourselves are willing to receive it from God, that if we're going to see ourselves as we are, which is members of this body, then the best thing for us to do first is to trust Jesus. Because Jesus has the truth to tell us. Jesus has the guidance which we need. Jesus can direct us in life in a way that is best for us. And, and the moment we start to assert our will over against him, we are going to throw ourselves and the body of which we are a part into a direction that's not good for it. And listen now, try this out and make it concrete. Jesus says to us, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. How many times in life are we thrown into disarray because we can't say the truth or we try to misrepresent ourselves? Jesus says, no, be honest. Uh, Jesus says, stop, stop uh, trying to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own eye. How much better would your life be if you stopped fussing at the, the imperfections in the people close to you? Yes? Gosh, y- Yeah. You're, you're thinking of the speck in your neighbor's eye right now. <laughs> uh, Jesus says, make your priority loving God and loving your neighbor. Don't worry about all the other things that the world has told you are the most important things. Don't do that anymore. Stop worrying about all the other things and just say, God, what is the path you want for me? If you do this, you will have peace, Jesus says. Stop worrying. If, you are, if we're gonna be members who trust him, it will mean taking to heart the guidance that he gives us just like a body functions well when the head guides all of its movements, not only with regard to what to do, but also the truth that Jesus tells us. If we would let him speak to us with the authority of a head, it would go so well for us. Try this out here. Listen, Jesus looks at you and he says, I know the scales that you're using to measure your value. I understand. I know the world has conditioned you to think that you're worth how much money you have or the achievements that are in your life minus all of your failures. And I know your regrets and your shames. I understand that. And then Jesus says, would you let me take those scales away from you? And would you look at yourself through my eyes? You're a beloved daughter, a beloved son. Uh, You're not worth... uh, you're worth so much to me that I've laid my life down for you. Trust me. It, being a member of the body in which he is ahead is taking his assessment of us to heart and trusting him. It is hoping because he teaches us to hope. It is striving in the ways that he wants us to strive and letting go of the things that he wants us to let go of. It is choosing to embrace his forgiveness of us and passing it on to others. This is the first virtue of this particular self-understanding. As a member of the body of which Jesus is the head, we are invited to trust Jesus. I invite and implore you to trust him. That's number one. Now, if we'll do that, uh, the the, the reason that uh, this image includes a body which has many parts is that secondly, there is virtue in this self-understanding for all of us gathered together. Uh, the, The second sphere in which this understanding of ourselves as members of Christ's body holds great potential for shaping us is in relation to the people that are all around us right now in this room. Now I'm tempted to ask you to look around, but I know as soon as I do that, I will have failed because you'll all keep looking at me. So I'm not gonna ask you to do it. But mentally, would you do this? Imagine the people that are near you. Don't look at them, (laughs) just think of them. And all of the people that have ever been brought in in one way or another in their best efforts to be a part of the church. Maybe it's another church that you're a part of or a place that you've been in in the past. All of these people all together. Think of them for a moment. What the Bible teaches us is that every one of them matters more to God than you could ever dream. The ones you love being close to and the ones you ran away from at the old church. What the Bible teaches us, listen to this, is that every one of them is a person, a man, a woman, a child, for whom Christ himself gave his whole entire life in order, listen now, to have them for himself so that he not you, he could determine that they should be brought into his body. And he did that in such a way that they should be united with each other throughout space and time for a good reason. He brought them together as members of the same body with all of their difference, with all of their strengths and weaknesses, with all of their doubt and their questions, with all of their good behavior and every one of their misdeeds. He brings them together like the members of a body, listen, because he wants them to do something with each other. He means that. There's a reason why we do not want you all to go home and watch church on your own in your living room. It's because God wants to do something with all of the people that he's brought together in the same way that a composer who writes a song wants something to happen that could never happen if the notes stayed away from each other. In the same way that my hand can't do much if it won't depend on my foot. You see what I'm saying? And this also is in the image. And the idea here is very simple. I'm gonna put it in this phrase. Members of the body have to work together. And that's also in the teaching that is behind what Paul says in Corinth. And the reason I need to emphasize it and the reason we need to dwell on it is this. And it's a simple and sad and universal fact of human beings. As soon as we come together with people who are like us, we immediately start excluding people who are not like us. And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes there are lines that should be drawn, but almost always our natural instinct to our own detriment, and certainly to the detriment of the body of Christ, is to circle up with like-minded, like-styled, like-voting, like-whatever sort of people, and then push away everybody who's not like us. Do you know that this is true? It was true in Corinth. It's still true today. When I, was a, when I first began high school ministry, the very first year I was doing high school ministry was over 20 years ago. I had this idea for a game that I would do with these high school kids to try to teach a lesson about how natural it is for us to exclude others. I got a group of kids on one side of the room and I told them, I want you to stand in a circle facing each other. And then I said, I need another volunteer. The kid raised his hand. I said, you're gonna stand on this side of the room and I'm gonna time it and see how quickly you can get from this side of the room into the group over here. And those are the exact directions I gave. I took another kid aside before the game and I said, Listen, we're gonna play a game. I want you to pay attention to everything I say and take notes. I said, Go. The kid ran across the room. What do you think this group did as soon as the child approached? They locked arms and they tried to keep him out. And at first they just kind of went like this and then they started kicking and then they were pulling hair and biting. It was so ugly. And and said, yeah, we kept them out. All right, who wants to try again? We did it three times. At the end, I asked the kid who took notes. I said, can you please recount for everybody here the instructions that were given? And he did. And I said, why did you try to keep them out? And it didn't even occur to them, why wouldn't we try to keep that kid out? And that's what we're like as human beings. In Corinth, the church of God, the people who were Christ's body, Some of them started exhibiting spiritual gifts that were wonderful. They could heal. They could speak in uh, divine language. It was awesome until they all said, hey, you know what? We're better than everybody else who can't do this. And they circled up and they said, let's get rid of the others who cannot do this. It happened in Corinth. And I'm telling you, it will happen here and in every church we're ever a part of. The impulse will be to circle up and exclude Look at the list again. If members of the body are trusting Jesus, they can't possibly do that because that's not how Jesus operated. Do you know that? And if members of the body are willing to work together, then then listen, they'll take this image in this way. Here's uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Indeed, in verse 14, he says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. What he means to say there, not members only, but member body part. There's lots of different body parts that need to be together for the Body to be what it is. He continues in 15 if the foot would say to the hand, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part. Of the body. He's addressing the pattern that he knows about too. That is that the difference between me and others will become an occasion for me to feel superior and exclude others who are not like me. When in fact, the way it works in the body is that the virtue of the hand is only as much as it's willing to depend upon the difference that exists in the foot. And now if we would think about ourselves all together and ask, okay, so how are Is it that we ourselves have all come together here? Some who have lots of faith and others who have lots of questions, which are good. Some who are excellent at speaking, which is wonderful, but others who are really good at listening, which is also necessary. Some who are strong with the strength of God, but others who are weak, but in their weakness, they show the mercy and sustaining power of God because he carries them through the weakness. Can't you see that we need all of this? How is it that we are in this place? Paul answers that in verse 18. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And here he's telling us that the way God has chosen to do things is to arrange a collection of individuals who are as different from one another as a hand is from a foot, an eye is from an ear. And those things physiologically are drastically different. And what God wants and is bringing them together, his intention is very simple. It is that when they rely upon one another or work together or when they are held together like the notes of a song, they can do something with one another out in the world that cannot be done otherwise. They can produce a melody that is inspiring and moving and brilliant and healing and hope-inducing. And what Paul wants for them is what I want for us. It is for our self-understanding to lead us to trust Jesus so that we begin to work together. And here's why. Because the world needs the right kind of music now, more than ever maybe. Because the world needs a body which is strong in God's goodness, more than ever maybe. And because what you were made for is to play your part in that song or to be who God made you to be in the body. Why? This is the third relational sphere that this image is meant to shape our understanding of what we're meant to be in the world. And to put it in the simplest way I can, members of the body serve the world. And that is as clearly as I can say, the reason that God has brought us together is because he wants us to serve the world. How do I know this? Listen, I have done my very best to attend to Jesus as many of you have. If you pay attention to Jesus, if you listen to the way he instructs his disciples and how he teaches them to think about who they're meant to be in the world. And by the way, you are, all of you, invited to follow him and become a disciple. If you listen to how he shapes their self-understanding, what you will see is over and over again, he brings them back to the place where they'll look at themselves and say, I know what God wants. He wants us to serve the world. Do you know that? (laughs) At the very end uh, of the gospel of John, there's one moment where it comes out in a very clear and pointed way. Uh, After Jesus had died and then was raised from the dead, he meets the disciples and they're overjoyed and at the same time, they're still unnerved. And he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them, giving them peace. And then he gives them a, a single line of instruction. And the instruction teaches them that the way they should look at themselves as sheep of this good shepherd, as branches of this living vine, as members of this body comes down to the single way in which they should go into the world. It's John 20, 21. Here's what Jesus said to them there. He said, as the father sent me, just as the father sent me, that means in exactly the same way that my father sent me into the world, so I send you. And if we... Look at the sweep of Jesus' life and ask, how did the father send him? Well, there's no single word that captures it better than servant. Uh, some of you will know this. Jesus said, the son of the Son of man came not to be served, but help me here, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How can we be his body unless we also see ourselves as ones who, first of all, aren't sent into the world to get something, And to be served, but rather to serve. And that should be our self-understanding. That here we've come together into the church, the body of which we're members, and we're trusting Jesus, and we're working together. Why? So that we can get going, serving the world, which so desperately needs serving, rather than coming to the club where we're members because we've paid something, so we get something for ourselves. You see the difference? And I'll tell you what, if you take this self-understanding, and if we, as a church, Say how does God want us to serve in the world? I will tell you we will have we will have power in the midst of us. It's not our power, it's God's power poured out into us so we become the light that the world needs in its darkness. So we become the salt that both preserves what needs to be preserved and corrodes what needs to be corroded and wiped away. We will become like Jesus, the one who's, ones who go into the world to preach good news to the poor, not just with our words, but with our very lives. Those who are poor emotionally, spiritually, and, and financially as well, that will become a community that like Jesus doesn't grasp our life, but gives it away for the world around us. So we divest ourselves from those who are oppressed and weak and pushed down without any question of what it costs us because Jesus never asked that question. Instead, we will pour ourselves out in joy and pleasure. And we'll go from strength to strength into adventures that we can't even imagine as God fills us and inspires us to serve in his name. Uh, you know, I'm getting excited. Can you see this spit coming out? <laughs> oh, I get it. Here's why I get excited. As discouraged as I get every time I watch the news and I see the inhumanity that we pour out upon each other as discouraged as I get from that, I'm so inspired to imagine you taking into your heart that you are a member of the body of Christ, that you're one of the notes, that God chose you to be a part of his body and that he's just waiting for you to discover it and go out and serve in the world as he wants you to. And when I think of that, it's like nothing else. And listen now, how do you become a member? Right, that's the question really. So how do I become a member if it's not like buying a jacket or paying the dues at at the country club, which it's not, how does one become a member in the body of Christ? And that's the question I want to answer to leave you with this answer. And this is so wonderful in every organization, which has membership, you become a member by what you achieve and what you give. And in the body of Christ, you become a member by what you receive because you have nothing to give. And that's the message of the gospel. And the people in Corinth who Paul said, you are members of the body of Christ were not members because they had done something religiously good. Many of them had not. They were immoral, a lot of them. And they weren't members in the body of Christ because they paid some kind of dues. They were people who were spiritually, and many of them literally, totally impoverished. They had become members in the body of Christ because of what they had received, which was the gospel. And the gospel, according to Paul, is the good news that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world in accordance with the scriptures. And what he meant by that is from long ago before you even existed, God himself in his omnipotent Uh, understanding of you knew every way you would transgress his commandments and what he decided to do in his mercy is to choose in himself to come into the world and Jesus and lay his life down so he would not treat you according to your transgressions. And the root of every problem you've ever experienced, you can can applaud for that. It's it's hard to do that in Renaissance Church, isn't it? (laughs) The root of every problem that you or the world is suffering from right now is the shattered relationship between men and women and God himself. And the gospel says God decided to repair that by coming in person in Christ and laying his life down for you. He did that. It means your whole past is, you're free to let it go. And your future, and and now and every day forward, is a gift from God for you. To live new life, it's free. It's totally there for you. And, And to become a member of Christ's body is to just say, all right, I'll receive it. I accept it. I'll take that gift. I have nothing to give. I'll take it. And when you do, then God himself looks at you and says, thank God this daughter of mine, this son has become a note in the song that we're writing. Thank God this son or daughter has become a part of this body that I'm building. That I'm building for all three of these reasons. So that not just with her mouth, but with her heart and her life, she's learning to trust me. And that's what Jesus wants. Like any part of the body functions best when it trusts the head. Like members of a family who love each other as I always intended, they're learning to work together and they're cooperating where they're weak then someone who's strong is coming. Uh, Do this as an aside, read through the New Testament and look at all the guidance that is given there about how to love each other in the body of Christ. It is magnificent. I'm gonna read some of those scriptures at five o'clock tonight at the service. Those of you who are gonna be watching the Giants game are gonna miss out. <laughs> are the Giants a uh, soccer team, football, what do they play? <laughs> and, and listen, this is the big point, and I'll end with this. The reason that we're, we've been set right with God by God's grace and the reason why we're invited to be a part of a community where we see ourselves in the right way is for the sake of the world for which Jesus Christ died. And so we're not permitted if Jesus is our head to let the world go, we're responsible for it. Like Jesus made himself responsible for it. And that's a joy because he's the one who's gonna empower us to serve the world as he wants us to. And, and that I'm telling you, that will be the very best thing for every one of us to get about that business. And I, as your pastor, am committed to doing everything I can to help build us up with the word so that we can serve as God means us to. That's my commitment. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? God, we love you so much that you would call us sons and daughters of yours by your grace, that you would pour yourself out in Jesus so that you could have us as a part of the song, the body that you're building. Uh, God, would this time together for all of us, whether we're a part of Renaissance Church each week or this is just the one week we're passing through, would this time have given us a challenge to the way we're meant to look at ourselves so that we would see ourselves with fresh eyes, so that we would grow in trusting you and it would be the best thing for us, so that we would grow in depending more and more in relationships of mutual dependence with the other people that you've brought into your body. And so we would get about the most important thing, serving the world together in your name. God, I ask that you would continue to strengthen Renaissance Church so it would become what you mean it to be, sent into the world just as the Father sent the Son, And then would you give us joy together as we continue to grow uh, so that we would reflect your joy in this world which you love. And we pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.